Now we're getting to the bottom of everything. It's time for Mother Angelica. I mean, that's awesome. Answering the call. Answering the call. This world is no place for Catholic chickens. Answering the call. You call that a failure? I call it a great success. Here's Father Joseph and Doug Kent. And welcome to yet another edition of Mother Angelica Answering the Call, featuring viewer calls from over the years to Mother's Great Live shows on Tuesday and Wednesday night during the 1980s and the 90s. And, of course, co-hosting is the one and only Father Joseph Mary Wolf, or EWTN chaplain. And, of course, my name is Doug Keck. So, Father, it's great to uh, see you again. It's always good to glean some more gems from Mother's words and her insights and to laugh a little bit, too, with her and her audience. It's interesting you mentioned that because that was really important, wasn't it? I mean, so many times in Mother's shows, it really was through that humor that she was really able to reach people. Yeah, and it's, it's said, you know, that humor opens the heart. It, like, relaxes us to be able to receive the word that the Lord wants to give us. And great orators like uh, Bishop Sheen understood that, too, and others. And certainly Mother had a tremendous gift to do that. Well, let's talk about what's on this program. We've got, first up, how do you know if Bible stories are true? A question about divorce, someone who was unsure about getting their tubes untied, and also a story about a nun's life, so people can look forward to that, see what Mother had to say about that. First up, though, is a question somebody comes in with, how do you know if Bible stories are true? And I thought it was interesting that Mother goes right to the idea about God leaving us a church, and maybe sometimes, you know, we don't agree with some of the things going on. That sounds very familiar today. It really does. And I like, too, that she talked about the example of the saints, that that's one of the reasons why we believe these stories are not just stories, but they are real events that are related to us in the scriptures. And, you know, it reminded me of something that Pope Benedict said when he was talking to seminarians. And he said to them, the two things that most convinced him of the truth of our faith, one, the beauty of that it's produced over the centuries. You think of beautiful architecture, art, music, and all of these things, and there's just something transcendent about those uh, gifted artists, right, that we are part of our history. And the second, he said, the luminous trail of the saints. I love that, I love that phrase, the luminous trail of the saints. These holy men and women who live these beautiful lives, if you will, because of God's grace. It's interesting you mention that because Mother talks about one particular saint and a very fishy, miraculous <laughs> story, which part of it, uh, Mother comes out and says, you know, it's an unusual story, but remember, uh, nothing's unusual when it comes to God, which reminds me a lot of what the Holy Father says about, you know, the God of surprises. Let's see if there's any surprises when Mother takes on, how do you know if Bible stories are true? We have another call. Hello? Hi. Hello. Hello. Where are you? Where are you from? Um, Crestline, Ohio. And, oh, my hometown. How old are you, sweetheart? Seven. Wonderful. And what is your question? Um, my question is that in the mysteries in the rosary and um the Bible and the Bible stories, how do you know they're really true? <laughs> We're not laughing at you, sweetheart. 
It's just that they've all been thinking the same thing. <laughs> we know they're true because the Bible was written by men inspired by God. This is the New Testament right here. It was written by men who lived with Jesus, who is God. And they recorded in this book all his miracles, all his teachings, from raising the dead, his sacrifice for you, as little as you are, and for me, and for all these here, so that when we do die, we will see the Father face to face, face to face. For example, there's in Italy, I was in Italy, but you have never been to Italy. Well, how are you going to prove to this woman who's never been to Italy that there is in Italy? How are you going to prove that? If you've never been there, and I say I've been there, yeah, who says? <laughs> I never saw anybody else who went to Italy. Well, that's your problem. But I've been there. Now, if I've been there and I write about it, then you can believe it. But that's why we have Holy Mother Church, see? I can't believe everything everybody says because they don't all believe the same thing. So what happened? God left us a church. And maybe sometimes, you know, we don't agree with some things, but he left us a mother that we call Holy Mother Church. And she defines every truth, everything in here. This is true, because century after century after century, people's ideas change, but this never changes. See, So we know it's for real, because of the example of the saints. Jesus raised people from the dead. Oh, a lot of people. Saints have raised people from the dead. I was reading this last weekend about St. Paola. Paola. I never saw, I never read. I've read many books in my life. <sighs> he had a favorite fish. And uh, somebody fried it. And San Paola was so upset. He looked at this fried fish in this big platter. And he looked at the brother who dared to kill his favorite fish. And he looked at the fish. And he went like that. And the little fried fish started wiggling. Now, some of you would think that is one useless miracle. <laughs> right? You could think of 25 other miracles he might have done. And he did them all. He did them all. But it showed the power of God. 
And he gave that power to little Paola. St. Francis Paola. He just raised it up, put it in the water. You say, oh, that's unusual. No, nothing is unusual when you come to God. And nothing is impossible to his saints. And nothing is impossible to God. In fact, your creation, well, it's the will of God, or you couldn't even talk to me tonight. See? So you can believe this wonderful book called the Bible. You may not ever see Italy, but I can tell you there is one. And it would be kind of dumb not to believe it. And since you're young, grow up smart. Grow up smart. Believe it. I know it's for sure. And next up, Mother takes on a question about divorce. Now, this is one that's kind of personal for her, isn't it, mm, Father? It is because actually as a little girl, she experienced that in her own family and just the pain that that brings about, both in the child, but in her mother as well. And so it was something that she said, you know, that she too understands because this was something that she underwent herself. Absolutely. And the question, uh, as we'll see as it unfolds, also talks about the impact on a child who's not interested in going to church anymore. And Mother really says, you know, you really got to pray to Our Lady and understand uh, that uh, the answers may be uh, coming sooner than you think. Don't lose heart. It's a hard thing. There's no question. You have to be a child of divorced parents to understand. And she says, I understand. You know, there's a, a close a priest friend of mine who came from a family of divorce and he's part of this organization called Life Giving Wounds mm -hmm. and uh, it's a wonderful website for those who've suffered like this young man described in this, uh, this conversation where it's a reality right that those who suffer through divorce that there are effects to that but there's also a remedy you know, that Jesus is able to reach to the deepest parts of our wounds through his life-giving wounds. So I'd recommend that to people, lifegivingwounds.org. And now we see what Mother has to say about tackling the tough issue of divorce and its impact on the children. We have another call. Hello? Hi. Hi, where are you from? Uh, New Jersey. And what can I do for you? Um, I have a 15-year-old son who's giving me a lot of trouble. He won't go to church, he won't go to confession, and I would just like to know how to deal with him. I'm a single mom and I'm going through a pretty nasty divorce. Mm. Well, I don't know what that is. Many times our children are not taught right in, in, in school. Maybe they're not even taught right in their catechism. They don't know Jesus loves them. They don't understand sin. They don't he may be angry because of the divorce. You must bear fruit now, not only the trauma of a divorce, but the trauma of a son who's not doing what he should. That's a double header, you know. That's a real heavy cross for you. Before God, it's important that you bear with him, that you love him, but you give him good example, that you advise him, Tell him where he's wrong. 
the worst thing in the world is not to correct your children. Correct him, but lovingly and with that knowledge. He may not hear you. Not nagging, just every so often. Son, this, you're going to get in trouble doing this. You're going to have to love your father no matter what. You concentrate on being the one example. And even if he doesn't listen now, one day he will remember. If you pray with all your heart and trust in the Lord, your son needs grace. He needs light. You can't give him those things. Only God can give it to him. Pray to Our Lady. And, and I feel that you'll get an answer to your prayers. Maybe sooner than you think. Just don't lose heart, you know. It's a, it's a hard thing, no, no question. You have to be a child of divorced parent to understand. I understand. So you be the example. Give him to Jesus and go before the Blessed Sacrament sometime and say, Lord, I, I'm helpless. I don't know what to do. I give you my son. From then on, be sure you're the example. And we'll pray for you. The sisters and I will pray for you. There's more Mother Angelica answering the call on EWTN Radio. Let's return to Mother Angelica answering the call with Father Joseph and Doug Kecht on EWTN Radio. And thank you so much for staying with us as we continue on with part two of Mother Angelica answering the call. You'll hear that shortly, but you've got to listen to Father Joseph and myself talk a little <laughs> bit about it. First up uh, in this section, a kind of unusual one you don't hear a lot about anymore, a uh, person calling up about getting their tubes untied. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I remember this well in a moral theology class I had with Dr. John Haas when I was in seminary, and this was one of the questions, and he talked about that some, in reparation, they may practice NFP, even though, strictly speaking, they're not going to get pregnant, or they will work in the pro-life movement, but in some way that they're going to make some reparation for the sins of the past even though maybe it surgically is not going to be undone, that in some way that person's making reparation. So I thought that was good advice. Right, and I think as Mother says here when, when she's struggling in this call upcoming, you know, about you have a conscience, it's yours, and this is something that's between you and God. You know what you've done and what's wrong about it. Um, what do you need to do to remedy it in your own life? And And I think that's where there are those decisions because sometimes having surgery like this can be uh, life-threatening to somebody and nobody's asked to go and do that. Right, and Mother talks about not living in guilt or scrupulosity, right? Absolutely. But we can look at the past and we can say, well, what is some way I can do the opposite? So this was an act against life. Let me now act for life. Right, exactly, and that may take in in many different fashions. It may be coming an outspoken pro-life person or somebody goes public and says, I'm going to tell people that I did something that I realize now was wrong, risk that, uh, because I want to help other people. So let's see what Mother has to say. She's always got the best advice, unsure about getting tubes untied. 
So we have another call. Hello? Hello? Where are you from? Um, Deland, Florida. And what is your question? Um, I have, was brought up um, never being in a church before. And I was confirmed four years ago in a Catholic church, and I love it. And I tried all the churches out around the area. Um, I have four children. Um, I found out after I became Catholic that um, about the birth control, and I had my tubes tied. Now, should I have things the way they are nowadays? Should I get my tubes untied? I could have six more if I wanted, but I'm 43 years old, and I don't mind having more children. But when I had to have them tied, it was a family thing between my husband and I. I don't know what to do. I love the Catholic faith. I, I just... I just don't know what to do in this situation. I've asked a few priests. And what do they tell you? They say leave it to the Lord. You know, I don't have health insurance or anything, but, you know, I would what, do it what in a does, What does your heart tell you? That the Lord performs miracles, and, you know, I keep thinking in the back of my mind, if he wanted me to have another child, he would let it happen regardless. You know, with Elizabeth, you know, in her old age, and... Is it uh, reversible by by surgery? I've been told it is reversible. You know, I, I don't know, but if if I can have it done, I would do it in a minute, yeah. you know. Well, I suppose uh, it's not always successful. Uh, I would suppose if you talk it over with your husband and this is how you feel, you don't want to go your whole life with some kind of scrupulosity or guilt. I would ask the doctor if it's possible. If he does it and it's not successful, then I would think on that level you'd be free. Now, I know all these liberals out there hopping and skipping in their rooms, but <laughs> you just hop and skip, sweetheart, because um, you're, you're dealing here with an individual who knows she did wrong and feels bad about it. And, and I think you need to try. Now, if it's not successful, then you know for sure it's God's will and you can go the rest of your life at peace. You know, these free choicers, they're funny people. They're all free choice as long as you make their, your choice is their choice. But now you do have free choice. Nobody, you don't go to any Planned Parenthood or, or free choicers and say, oh yeah, yeah, go on, maybe you can have a child. Oh no because they've been trying to destroy the earth for years. A good way to enjoy it is don't let people be born. I mean, that's the most perfect word to make it small in a hurry. You have a conscience, it's yours, and this is something between you and God. If you know you've done wrong, then see if it can be remedied. You say you're 40 years old. Oh, they'll tell you all the terrible things can happen to you. Good thing, St. Anne or Sarah didn't have a doctor around. <laughs> they would have said, what is your husband? Some kind of old nut? What does he know? You can't have any children. Let We keep telling God what he can do all the time. And we can do that. See? Now, I think you need to follow your conscience. What you just said now was, if it could be done, I'd do it tomorrow. Well, why don't you call and ask your doctor and see what God does. Don't ever tell God he can't perform a miracle. 
I'd never do that. And wrapping things up on this show, an interesting question about a nun's life. Uh, reminds me of a, a movie from years ago, mm -hmm. but this was a question asked a mother about what it was like to be a nun. Yes, and so there is a definite formation, and mother talks about the reality of living a cloistered life is quite intense. And so someone really has to know what they are doing. They have to experience it deeply before they can make that lifetime commitment. Right, and it's interesting, too, and she explains about the idea of being cloistered. So while you would live in community uh, mm -hmm. and the sisters would live in community, they're cloistered and, and you guys aren't. Right, and in a way, the cloister kind of amplifies everything because that's the whole world, right? That you're mm -hmm. living with these same people every day, and it's a beautiful life. It's a call of prayer and deep union with God, but it has its unique challenges, too. And, you know, one of the things, too, why would someone embrace this life? Well, one of the things that I think Mother talks about here is the vow of obedience, you know, and making, uh, living the horarium. This is a way in which we as individuals can know that we're living in God's will all throughout the day. His will is for me to be at prayer now, to, do, to be there for meals or for recreation or to do my work. And so I see the vow as obedience as not a limiting thing that's oppressive, but rather something that enables me to live God's will more perfectly. Unfortunately, scary to many young people. Though Mother says there's no dearth of vocations, they just don't know where to go. Let's see what Mother has to say about a nun's life. We have another call. Hello? Hello, Mother Angelica. Yeah, where are you from? Uh, this is Steve calling from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, Hershey. Yes. Mm. We send you love and kisses, and we will send kisses to you. Oh, Chocolate wonderful. One. Yay. Yes. Uh, wait, that, wait a minute. Hold on. Before you ask the question, would you mind putting almonds in the kisses? <laughs> <laughs> then you'd like to have hugs and kisses. Okay. Okay. <laughs> my, okay. Uh, my question, what are the sequence of events or training and duties and responsibility before taking the final profession of vows? Okay. First, you're a postulant. That's for one year. You'll see... Uh, two of them in our chapel in the morning. They have a kind of little jumper. During that time, they just begin to learn to live the life. They know where to go and how to get there and why they're going. Then they become novices. Now they're making a, another kind of commitment. For two years, they get lectures, direction. They begin to study the scriptures, they have the divine office. Now their obligation begins to rise with it. So they have the obligation of the divine office. They have adoration hours. After that, they begin to take vows for five years, one year at a time. After that five years, if the community is happy with them and they are happy with the community, that equals vocation. And then they make a permanent, total commitment in our order, and we're one of the few left that make solemn vows. And we live in a monastery. Did you notice that? We don't live in a convent. And we're nuns. We're not sisters. Everybody calls everybody a sister. But canonically, according to the law, 
to be a nun, you must live in a monastery. You must say the divine office, that's the scriptures, the Psalms, in public. People have to hear you. And you must have enclosure. That means you're confined to a certain space. You only leave that space if you have to go to a doctor or a dentist or buy a pair of shoes, something you cannot do in a monastery. Many people live and die in that space. If you get too big, in other words, our monastery was built for 14 and now we're 23. So we don't have room. But we get about 10 inquiries a week. Do you know what that means? That means 10 young women want to go somewhere for a vocation. That's 30, 10, 20, 40 a month. There are no dearth of vocations. They don't know where to go. They don't want to go from an apartment to an apartment, from one permanent to another permanent. Do you know what I mean permanent? Hair. <laughs> I knew you weren't getting it. <laughs> they don't want to do it. See, the kids today, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, have lived it up by the time they're 16. At that point, they don't want anything but give it up and give it off. They want a superior. I hate to tell you this. They want to tell somebody that feels responsible for their soul and going to tell them exactly what does God wish from them. They're tired of doubts. They're tired of wondering. They're tired with no place to go. So that's why I say to you, pray for a vocation. For more about Mother Angelica and to listen to her shows, go to EWTN.com. See you next time on Mother Angelica, answering the call only on EWTN Radio.